Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Well, as you know, COVID-19 is seemingly taking over our world. Reactions have ranged from apathy and indifference to sheer terror and panic, and we don't want to be either of those. As I said in my letter that went out yesterday, we canceled service for the sake of loving our neighbors, especially those that are most at risk. And it was an extremely difficult decision, a very weighty decision for us, but we don't lose a ton. We can still hear the word and sing together. You get to stay in your PJs. I don't have to sit and watch Tim Schmidt fall asleep during my sermon. And so we'll keep our elderly and our immunocompromised people safe and see what the Lord has for us the rest of the week. The question I want us to talk about is how shall the people of God respond? And God has a word. So I would love for you to grab a Bible, get it out, open it up to the book of Romans. If you've been with us, you know we've been walking through the book of Romans together. And so I want us to spend some time here just considering six truths from Romans to remind ourselves during, of during such times. Six truths to remind ourselves of during such times, and then we'll finish with three applications. So six truths. Number one, what does Romans have to say to us during such times? Number one, the world is fallen. The world is broken, all of it. Every nook, every cranny, the creation is cursed. And we know it didn't start that way. The Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1. God created the world good, but because of sin, the world is cursed. The world is fallen. Times like these remind us of this. A pandemic reminds us of the instability of the world as we know it. And Romans teaches this. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, if you want to turn there with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here we learn very clearly that the entire created world is broken, it's fallen, it's under a curse, it's subjected to futility. And so these types of things should not surprise us. I think the stability of modern America can sometimes blind us to the brokenness of the world, but a pandemic is a painful reminder of the curse. And so we learn we ought not to be surprised by such things. The whole created world is under the curse. Number one, that's it. The world's fallen. Number two, Romans tells us reminds us that we are fallen. We are sinful. And Romans is extremely clear about this. Romans chapter 1, right out of the gates, teaches us that we are idolaters. All of us before Christ exchanged the immortal God for created things. We love other things in place of God. 
Romans 1 says we worship them and we serve them. And there's nothing like a pandemic to expose idols, to expose our functional God replacements, to shake our foundations and cause us to ask, what is it? Who is it we're truly living for? We're fallen. Romans is crystal clear about that. Romans 1, let me read from Romans 3, verse 9. Turn over there. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, that's Jews and non-Jews, that's everybody, are under sin. As it is written, and here he quotes tons of Psalms and biblical passages to show none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they've become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And then if we kept reading in chapter 3, look down at verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're sinful. And times like these show us the world's fallenness. I saw a couple days ago that one of the major pornography sites was offering free premium access to people in Italy. Disgusting and despicable. Our sin is showing as our foundations are shown to be faulty. People are brawling over Charmin. Panic, producing a mob mentality. We're sinful. We're fallen. And we also learn, just like the created order, even our very bodies are fallen. Sin has cursed every nook and cranny, as I mentioned. Bad backs to cancer. Our immune systems do not work like they should. They fail us, and sin is the reason. The wages of sin is death. We are fallen. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. Number two. Number three, Romans teaches us that our greatest problem has been taken care of. We are fallen, but through Christ, we are forgiven. Our greatest problem is not the coronavirus. Our greatest problem is not a recession. Our greatest problem is is the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. Romans starts off that way. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's our problem. That's our fundamental problem. Romans teaches that. Romans also teaches that Jesus is the solution. After laying out how sinful we are in Romans 1 and Romans 2 and then in Romans 3 as we just read, he turns a corner and he turns from the bad news to the good news. And the good news is not really good until we have reckoned with the bad news. And in verse 21 of chapter 3, look there with me. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared in the right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
There's this word here that's used several times in the Bible. It's in verse 25, and it's this word propitiation. Maybe you remember us talking about it. It's a really important word. It's this word that means a sacrifice that averts wrath, a sacrifice that absorbs wrath. Here it says that God, out of love, put forth his son to be a propitiation. Romans 1.18 begins with our problem. What is our fundamental problem? Our sin has caused God's wrath to be revealed against us. Here in chapter 3, he tells us the solution. God has put forward his son, Jesus Christ, to be that sacrifice that averts it, that absorbs it. In our place, God's wrath is no longer upon us because Jesus bore it. Our propitiation. He took our place. Took care of our sin problem. He removed our guilt. He has justified us, declared us in the right by faith and not by works. Declared us in the right because of what Jesus has done for us, not by our own performance. This is grace. This is the gospel. Our sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 4. It says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And he quotes the Psalms here. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Look at the next page there, chapter 5, verse 9. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Then in the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 23. Familiar passage, the wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is not what we've earned. But by grace, that's what we receive through faith. Your greatest problem is judgment. And Jesus Christ bore the judgment in our place. Number four, God is sovereign. We learn from Romans that God is sovereign. Romans teaches us that God is on his throne. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. God works all things. All things. The good days and the bad days. Our great God is at work on our behalf. And he tells us it's for our good. And our good may look different than we might want it to look. But through whatever it may be that God's bringing us through, he promises here that the good that he will bring about is conformity to his son. We will become more like Jesus because of the sovereign work of God. And we got to remind ourselves of this. Maybe that we have to remind ourselves of this through tears 
on our knees, curled up. God is sovereign. He's not surprised by this. Ephesians 1 says, he works out all things according to the counsel of his will. Our God is powerful. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things. Remember the former thing is old. He says, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Daniel 4 says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is in control, friends. Let's remember this. Let's act like this. Number five, not only is he powerful and sovereign, he's faithful. In so many ways, that's the message of the book of Romans about the fact that God keeps his promises, specifically his promises made to the patriarchs. We read in Romans 4 about how God has kept his promises to Abraham. Flip over to Romans chapter 15 towards the end of the book. 15 verse 8. I tell you that Christ, the Messiah, became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This is the purpose of Romans. This is what we're in right now as a church, taking a break from Romans 9 to 11 to show that God keeps his promises. Romans chapter 9 verse 6 starts that whole section to say God's word has not failed because friends, God's word cannot fail. He is faithful. He can be relied upon. His promises are true. He can be trusted. He's faithful. The sixth thing that we can learn from Romans about a pandemic is that the future is brighter than ever. There's yet so much we don't know about this virus or the implications of it, but we know someone who does. And if terrible days are ahead of us, the future is ultimately bright. We know the end of the story. If this gets bad or regardless of how bad it gets, for Christians, our best days are always ahead. Let me remind you that the very worst thing that can happen to you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, in truth, is the very best thing that can happen to you. And again, God promises to even use the hard days for our good. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So church, stay close to Jesus. One day God's going to right all wrongs. He's going to free the world from the vestiges of the curse. As we sing at Christmas time, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. 
How far is the curse found? We've already seen everywhere. Well, he's going to fix that. He's going to make all right, all wrongs right one day. And Romans tells us that in Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Speak of the glory that will be revealed. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're talking about resurrection. He says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. God is going to make all things right. Ultimately, our future is incredibly bright. Those are six truths to encourage us from Romans. Now, let's close then with three applications. Number one, love. In light of the gospel, we are called as the people of God, to cruciform love, to cross-shaped love. Romans turns a corner in chapter 12 from all of the gospel theology of Romans 1 to 11, and then in 12.1, therefore, because of all that, we are then to offer our lives. Flip over to Romans 13. The heart of that offering is sacrificial love. He says in chapter 13, verse 8, Oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall not commit adultery can shall not murder shall not steal shall not covet any other commandment they're summed up in this one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law and it's got a jesus shape to it look over the next page at chapter 15 We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Why? Verse 3 starts with a really important word, for, because Christ did not please himself. We are called to love because that's what Christ has done. He shows us how we give of self for the good of others. We're not worried about ourselves. We're not here to please ourselves. We're here to love our neighbors. And so we here in America, we're being asked to change our behavior and we will do so out of love for our neighbor. And for Christians, we ought to do this without hesitation, without grumbling. And again, this is primarily for the sake of our elderly members and our elderly neighbors and those with compromised immune systems and for our healthcare professionals. Maybe you think this is over the top. I hope you're right. But for the sake of loving our neighbors, we will give of self. We don't want to overreact, but we also don't want to underreact. People are dying. And so while we can probably all agree about the media hype, the CDC, the World Health Organization, is taking this seriously, and therefore, so should we, partly because they're asking us to, and as Romans teaches us, if you've got it open, look at chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgments. And when dealing with pandemics, the measures that will actually make a difference always need to be taken sooner than we think. People in Italy don't think we're acting too soon. So as we've been saying, let's wash our hands regularly. Let's wash them thoroughly. 20 seconds. Say the Lord's Prayer twice, then you're done. Let's cough and sneeze into our elbows with proper cough etiquette. Let's avoid contact. Let's settle for a head nod. Don't do elbow taps because we're telling people to cough into their elbow. Just shoot a deuce, nod a head. Stay at home as much as possible, especially if you're sick. Love your neighbor. The goal is to flatten the curve. If you don't understand what that language means, just Google it. Love. And let's love by being careful of how we speak. Dismissive attitudes about any illness will seem callous to those who've been personally affected by it. Let's be careful with our words. Let's seek to build up and encourage and give grace. Let's ask ourselves, does this social media post, does it have the aroma of Christ? If not, delete it. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Time's going to tell other ways we might be able to demonstrate love. One, one way may be contacting elderly neighbors and asking if you can run errands for them, if you can go pick up groceries. Our deacons are queued up to take care of the members of Southside. Some of you may need to give up three or four of your 250 rolls of toilet paper for someone who actually needs it. Or you can just roll like my family and go bidet all the way. Alicia would want me to tell you that's not true. We've never even tried it. I think there are going to be many ways the church will be able to rise up and cruciform cruciform love in days to come. It's interesting looking at history. This isn't new in the history of the world. And the very first Christians, when plagues would come, they wouldn't flee the city like so many would. They would stay and they would serve. And sociologists and historians have shown that at least one major contribution, contributor to the growth of the early church was their commitment to care for people, the many, many, many people stricken by plagues. And as the plague would move on and as survivors would recover, where would they want to worship? The pagan temples whose priests went MIA at the first sign of trouble or their neighbor's church who stayed and cared for and provided for them even at great risk to themselves. If COVID-19 gets nastier and then eventually passes, let's ask ourselves, what will our neighbors remember of us? It should be sacrificial love. We can be beacons of hope, help, and healing. And of course, part of loving people is sharing Jesus with them. I think people are ripe for the hope of the gospel. People are scared. People are sick. People are dying. People will continue to be sick and will continue to die. People need the gospel, and so let's love our neighbors. Let's be about sharing the only real hope, the only true hope, the only lasting hope that they actually have. So that's number one, love, cruciform love. Number two, pray. 
The Southern Baptist Convention, the denomination of which we're a part, has asked all churches to commit to pray today. Even the president asked today a national day of prayer. And the Southern Baptist Convention has asked the churches of the the Southern Baptist Convention to pray in four specific ways. So commit to praying in these ways and more. Number one, ask God in his mercy to stop this pandemic and to save lives. Not only in our communities, but around the world, particularly in places that are unequipped medically to deal with the virus. Second, the convention leaders are asking us to pray for the president, pray for Donald, President Donald Trump and other government leaders, international, federal, state, local, to have the wisdom to direct us in the best courses of action for prevention and care. Third, scripture says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So pray that the Lord would give us wisdom in this moment of fear as the foundations of what we know are shaken, that others would realize how fragile life is, how real eternity is. They would see their need and turn to God. Fourth way they're asking us to pray is asking God to protect our missionaries and their families around the globe using this global crisis to advance his good news to the whole world. And then I would add us to be praying for those who will be economically affected due to lack of work. So let's be a people who love. Let's be a people in prayer. And then third, fear not. We need not fear. If our greatest problem has been taken care of, if our God is all-powerful, if he's sovereign, if he's faithful, if he's good, what is there to fear? These twin truths of God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness should be like kryptonite to fear. And so do you believe this? Do you believe in this God, the God revealed in Romans? If so, we should not walk in fear. We should walk by faith and confidence in him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We have no reason to fear. Martin Luther wrote a hymn, it's called A Mighty Fortress. It says this, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Fear not. Here's how the the Heidelberg Catechism opens. The first question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What's the answer? That I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Friends, Fear not. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, you are for us. Thank you for this word that steals our ribs for whatever may come, Lord. We are yours and we are secure because of the promises of the gospel. Lord, we do pray that you would stop and contain this virus. We're grateful that Abilene has not yet been infected and we pray that that would stay that way. God, we pray for the many medical professionals in our state, in our nation, in our world, Lord, that you would give them endurance, perseverance, as so many are worked, overworked, understaffed. Lord, give wisdom and energy. Lord, may your church arise. We pray for our government, Lord, that you would grant them wisdom in making extremely difficult decisions. God, may we be a people who do not panic. Lord, may we be a people who do not fear because you are our God and you are with us. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you that this instability would cause them to see the futility of life in this world and look to you. This week has reminded us of the sinking sand of the world. Weak bodies, unstable economies, human mortality. As your people, we declare that we stand on the rock who is Jesus Christ, who alone can weather the storms. Would you help us to build our lives on him? We pray it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.